G'day everybody, it's Easter Sunday, April 2020, and today I want to talk about Apollo 13. Now, we know a lot about it, we've watched the movie 20, 50 years today since the um, launch, and 25 years since the launch of the movie with Tom Hanks, which gave a very, very good coverage of it. We know that's where the famous words, Houston, we've had a problem, came into being and what America calls its most successful failure. We know the outcome of the story. It's always good when you know the that there's a happy ending, but just thought I'd summarize a few bits about it and talk a little bit about um, Australia's part in the whole thing. So obviously Apollo 13 um, followed on Apollo 11 and 12. And for those who've seen the movie, you know, that um, there wasn't a lot of interest in the mission because everything had been done, ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. Um, but of course, as soon as the problem occurred, everybody was suddenly interested. So basically they launched and everything was going fine for a couple of days. They were heading towards the location they were going to, which was the Fra Mal crater, which is um, believed to have much of the material from the impact that they believe formed the early Imbrian Basin early in the moon's history. And they're going to do a bit of information on that. Previous um, bits and pieces that had been left on the moon didn't last, like Apollo 11's seismometer sort of didn't survive its first two week long lunar night. And um, the astronauts had to do a fair bit of training in geology and the like to try and understand it. The captain of the thing was is Jim Lovell, who was probably the most experienced astronaut. Originally, Alan Shepard's crew, which were slated for Apollo 13, they had an inner ear problem. So they moved Apollo 14's group, which was Jim Lovell's crew, the crew that flew here, with one exception, um, to do Apollo 13. So Jim Lovell was a, as a naval astronaut, naval, um, a NASA astronaut, naval aviator, a retired Navy captain these days. He was the command module pilot of Apollo 8. He was become one of the first three humans to fly to and orbit the moon. Apollo 13 was to be his um, glory where he actually landed on the moon. But as we know, he never achieved to do that. He flew in Gemini 7 in 65, Gemini 12 and 66. He was the first person to fly into space four times. So he was probably the most experienced person that NASA had at the time. I think he had something like 542 hours. Um, of experience, which um, was came in very useful with everything else. So along with him on the spacecraft was James Swigert and Fred Hayes, Fred Hayes replacing um, Ken Matingley, um, who um, caught Rebella. They'd actually also been the backup crew, um, Lovell, Hayes and Matingley for Apollo 11. Um, obviously, we know who went on that. So it was all very, very good for the first couple of days. And then one could say all hell almost broke loose. So the basic the problem was there was an explosion. It was in the um, oxygen tank, which they could see down on Earth first. And then they began working through a massive series of problems. So it wasn't just one problem. There were many, many problems. So they'd already diverted off the track to the moon. So they were on their track to go to where they were planning on landing. So they had to get back onto their original, to the course that would use the um, moon's gravity to bring them back to Earth nice and safely. 
basically they were heard a bang, felt a shudder throughout their aircraft, and during what should have been a routine oxygen stir, one of the tanks on the spacecraft had burst and exploded. Uh, after the mission was over, if you recall, the explosion was traced back to overheating while the spacecraft was being tested on the ground, but no one knew about it. Certainly um, lots of changes. So this explosion not only knocked out um, the um, submarine oxygen tank, but it also knocked out the fuel cells, which should have been powering the aircraft and sent voltages in various things um, plunging. So every, they could see what was happening down at Mission Control. Jack Swigert says, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Um, they go, this is Houston, say again, please. Um, Houston, we have, we've had our problems at Jim Lovell. Um, and those words are amongst the most famous from this mission. Almost as famous as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So obviously straight away they knew they weren't going to the moon, but what they had to do now was work out how to get um, back home alive. If it was going to happen, it happened at the best time. Um, if it had happened earlier, they would have ran out of power. And if they'd happened later um, in the lunar orbit, they couldn't have got away from the moon. The trouble is they now had to travel the 200,000 um, miles back to the earth. With oxygen, without, with the only oxygen and power they had would be in the lunar module, which was built to cope with two men. And now it had to cope with three men for four days. Now we know that everybody pulled together. There was so many things to be fixed up. Um, we go back to the old concept of duct tape and the like, which were they able to do all sorts of things. If you watch the movie, you know the amazing things that they did. But the conditions that they had to put up with were, were quite grim. They had to reduce the amount of water they had because they needed the water to cool down the instruments because the instruments were cooled by water, by a cold plate, by water running against a plate at the back of them. Um, and you can imagine if you couldn't cool them down, one, it would be a problem with the instruments, of course, with the electronics, and two, the heat would be unbearable. So they reduced their water intake by a fifth to a fifth. And um, so they became quite dehydrated and they were also very, very cold. So, you know, Lovell wrote in his biography, they were too busy struggling with survival to worry about the concept of um, talking about what was going to happen. Um, and one of the conspiracy theories about they had poison pills hidden away in case um, they didn't make it. Um, he's um, certainly denied that on numerous occasions. Eventually they um, arrived back home and this is the most perilous part of the journeys entering the Earth's atmosphere. So they had just enough power by then to switch on the command module and wait as they went through the ordeal. And then this was when there was a big communications blackout that comes from just everything that's happening at the time. And eventually when they appeared in the air, I think the whole world was watching. And just as they did when Armstrong got off, um, everyone was very, very pleased that they made it. But one of the things that um, gets forgotten a lot, unless of course you're an Australian, because when you think about Apollo and NASA, you think of the USA, um, the Stars and Stripes, but it's a global effort, just like the International Space Station is a global effort of people working together. The same is with Apollo missions. Um, and of course we know that in Australia because of Parks and the Dish, the movie The Dish and everything to do with Apollo 11, but Apollo, but it played a very big part Australia did in the Apollo 13 as well. The um, problem with spacecraft is they don't stay above where they are. They orbit the Earth about 16 times a day and with the Earth rotating, you need to have transmitters and receivers spread around the world if you're gonna keep um, constant contact. So in the 60s, America set up a worldwide communications network to support Mercury space program and to maintain the communication with the astronauts in orbit, they needed radio dishes 
outside of America. So unlike the Soviet Union, whose land crosses like 11 time zones and has very high latitudes, America um, had to rely on foreign bases um, in their manned-based flight network. And so you had um, basically nine ground stations and two ships. One was in the Indian Ocean, one in the Pacific. And the spacecraft would communicate through the successive channels as they orbited the Earth. Um, by 1963, it was up and running and um, allowed them to keep contact with Gordon Cooper's Mercury flight as it made its 22 orbits. And by 1965, they were trying to get it ready for the, um, the trip to the moon for Apollo 11. Um, so there were three 26 meter, which is 85 feet wide dishes planned to allow communication. And one of these was at Honeysuckle Creek down um, southwest of Canberra. It was completed in 1967 and the station had the honor of relaying the video signal well, partly of Neil Armstrong's first steps of the lunar surface, but of course it also worked in with the Parkes Radio Telescope, which was not part of the network, but was reaped in because it was able, because as we know from the movie, when Armstrong decided he didn't want to sit around and have a sleep, he wanted to get out. The only dish that was available to do it was Apollo 13, was um, Parkes. And so similar situation happened here with its Honeysuckle Creek, struggled to pick up the faint signal from Apollo 13. So they went to up to 350 kilometers north up to Parkes Radio Observatory, which is a 64 meter dish with a big movable antenna. Now it had been used with Apollo 11, as we said, and um, they didn't kind of see any need for using it for Apollo 13 because they were going to use a deployable umbrella on the moon. And so it was basically doing its normal astronomical um, observations as it does. So suddenly, um, they had to do what would normally take a week um, and do it in a couple of hours. So basically they flew from Canberra up to Parks and they worked around the clock to get the dish configured in a single day for work that would normally take a month. And even with that antenna, the signal was proving difficult to detect. So they were able to do it. Um, they had problems with um, trying to hear the crew's transmissions. So ground control sent a message to the astronauts to turn off their transponder and wait in silence so that the Parks team could isolate the Saturn 4B signal. When they switched the radios on again, um, the operators were able to lock in on the crew's voice transmission and so guide the Apollo 13 team to patch together the railing aircraft. And this is where Parks became so important because without that, there was no way these guys could communicate with each other. And so when the crew rode back on Earth, it was very, very important, um, the part that Parks played in it. So thinking about how that all happened, obviously we know they got back and everything else. And um, 1981 operations to Honeysuckle Creek Station sort of ended as a new space network came online with um, nearby Tidbinbilla. And they updated the dishes at, um, the new updated dishes were based on the Parks design. And Parks still does a lot of communication um, with spacecraft like Voyager and other ones out there today. And that's the part Australia played in Apollo 13. And we know the outcome, we know the story, and that's just my little um, two bits worth. What, what actually inspires me is just how everybody worked together in this so-called successful failure to come up with ideas to get the space group going again. So everybody worked right across the globe, but people got behind it. And tragedy and things like this bring people together. And this was a mission that no one was interested in. As soon as something goes wrong, they're there. Just like we're celebrating this Easter in these unusual circumstances where we can't go out, we can't do the normal things that we would do. Um, so 
Apollo 13 is a thing for us all. Thank you and um, have a good rest of your Easter. <laughs>